Hello, future billionaires. Welcome back to another episode of the Invest Like a Billionaire podcast. We had a great episode that I'm really excited for you to listen to. I interviewed Laura Dohanes of My CPA Pros, and we've been talking to a lot of CPAs recently. So it feels like, Ben, you know, I've had enough taxes, but let me tell you, you have not heard enough tax content because if you're still paying taxes and pay more taxes than you like, there's things you got to do and you got to shift not only mindset, but strategy and approach that Laura really brings to the table here. So she calls herself a tax strategist. She is a CPA, but just really is very expansive in the topics that we hit on today. And it's kind of funny. I kind of think of her almost like a mindset coach as well as a CPA, which is a very unique combination, but really being aware of what's available to you as an investor and being able to to create the best strategy from a tax standpoint that really helps you continue to build wealth over time. And so we had a lot of like philosophical things, but also very tactical, practical examples for people in different situations. So be sure to listen to the whole episode. It's a little bit longer, but a lot of good content. I think you're really gonna enjoy some of the things that, that Laura shares. And if you haven't already, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would just love if you would be willing to give us a rating on Apple or Spotify and leave a little review for us. That just helps us continue to get the word out and potentially get higher, bigger guests on the show to provide you more content that's valuable. So appreciate that. Be sure to subscribe if you're not already subscribed to the podcast. YouTube as well. We're growing our YouTube channel and expect to put out more you know, YouTube-specific content. So with that, enjoy the episode. This is the Invest Like a Billionaire podcast, where we uncover the alternative investments and strategies that billionaires use to grow wealth. The tools and tactics you'll learn from this podcast will make you a better investor and help you build legacy wealth. Join us as we dive into the world of alternative investments, uncover strategies of the ultra wealthy, discuss economics, and interview successful investors. Looking for passive investments done for you? With Aspen Funds, we help accredited investors that are looking for higher yields and diversification from the stock market. As a passive investor, we do all the work for you, making sure your money is working hard for you in alternative investments. In fact, our team invests alongside you in every deal so our interests are aligned. We focus on macro-driven alternative investments so your portfolio is best positioned for this economic environment. Get started and download your free economic report today. Welcome back to another episode of the Invest Like a Billionaire podcast. I am your host, Ben Frazier, and we've got a very exciting episode today talking about everyone's favorite topic that we've been talking a lot about recently. It's taxes, but hey, it's tax season. And uh, Laura Dohanes is the tax strategist founder of My uh, CPA Pro, and uh, she's going to blow our minds today. So I'm very excited to have her on. We've talked a little bit uh, before. Uh, a few times and just I've really just love the knowledge that she brings. And so, Laura, thanks for coming on the show. Give us yes. a little background on you and kind of how you work with, with folks and what's a tax strategist do, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me. And it's exciting. Listen, um, one of the my favorite things to say to people is like, you know, when you think about an enemy or you think about a friend, um, taxes are many people's enemy. They look at it as this, this, you know, this, this nemesis. You can never win against this, this, this giant, right? And I'm here to tell you that you can literally befriend this thing, right? Um, if you make peace with yourself, understanding and making peace that this is an ally, and you befriend the ally, right? This is becoming part of your strategy, part of what you do, because you can never escape it, you know. So I'm really excited. 
I'm, the, my most ex, more more you know most exciting moment is when you understand that no matter how the politics go, the economy goes, you always have an ally. There's always something for you to take out of it. And this is my role as a tax strategist. The opportunities are always there. We never lack opportunities and options. And people like, you know, I meet with, with, with my clients, with people all the time, and they say, this is, there's nothing else left. We're done. I said, you just lost the game. So once you decide to win the game, no matter what happens, no matter how the economy goes, this is where tax strategy can give you so much more in, in everything that you do. Because everything that, you know, how I like to explain people is what does tax strategy really do? It's really the end of the rope. All the cash movement, everything that you do, like the income that you draw, the expenses that you have, deductions, you're trying to make investments, they all end up, the end of the rope is the tax. When you exit, when you die, when you sell the thing, everything that you do ends in tax. So if you think about tax strategy from the point of what do I want to achieve? Where do I want to go? Tax has become this exciting moment. This is the end, right? So this is really what we do. We're looking at how how is the end looking for you? And how can you make that exciting moment when you exit to actually look forward for your exit, whatever the exit is? And if you don't think about it, guess what? Everybody's going to exit. <laughs> Everybody's going to exit one day with death, right? So either or, exit is inevitable. And it's the most exciting moment, right? So that's, I mean, I get too excited about it, but that's I'm, what I'm glad you're, you're excited about it because I think... <laughs> Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are glad that you're excited about it and that we don't have to be, but you can, you know, be yeah. contagious and help us help us navigate <laughs> it, right? Because, I mean, it's, you know, the idiom is there's nothing, you know, certain except for death and taxes. And it's it's not something that at, at, a, at a certain point, right, if you just stick your head in sand mode, go ostrich mode on this and, yeah. you know, don't think about it, you're still going to have to deal with it at some point. And if, if you don't, then your kids will, right, if, you know, yeah. with your state taxes. And so, just let's take a step back. I have so many questions and love to get into this. But one of the things you said a minute ago before we hit the record button here was a lot of the things that you help people navigate is the strategies that these, you know, ultra high net worth families are using, you know, say the 20, 30 plus million dollar, you know, net worths, you know, taxes is something they're thinking a lot about, right? Because you you don't get to that level of net worth without having some sophistication around, you know, how are you going to handle the taxes unless you have a huge liquidity event, but then you're going to have to deal with taxes, right? So yeah. you kind of then help people, you know, maybe at the lower net worth range of, you know, two to five, $10 million ranges, use these strategies that can help propel you to that next level of, of income and growth. And talk a little bit about what are the strategies, what are the things, maybe even mindsets that people are using and frameworks that they use to um, you know, get to those levels of net worth. Yeah, and it's um, it's really exciting what you just said because many people, I think the the downfall is where we think, well, we're not there yet. This is not for me. This doesn't work for me. So we, with our mindset, can literally block something that could be tremendously beneficial to our wealth building, and not just wealth building, but tax strategy. Because we we already cut it off that this doesn't work for me. I'm not there yet. And listen, I have people who can bring 10 million in a year and say, I'm not there yet. And I have a person that brings a million a year and can have much more 
um, you know, um, you know, mindset like shift, say, you know what, I'll do whatever it takes. Right. So it only like it only you can only go as far as you let yourself go with the tax strategy. And now some of them have other risks and it comes with 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 risk aversion. Really, I think this is the moment because um, the first the first step in tax strategy is understanding how much money you make and how much how much is your lifestyle cost you. This is, I think, the missing element when people don't understand. So we always begin with the basics because the number one step that you want to know is, okay, how much do I live? Most people, most like it doesn't matter how much money they make, it doesn't matter what kind of investments they have. Most of the people live between anywhere but 150 to 300,000 tops a year. And $300,000 a year, most people in the United States right now as a family, and I have three kids in private school, you can live very well with that money. It doesn't matter where you live in the US, right? So you can do it, you can have a, a decent living, right? Now, once you have established what's your lifestyle costing you every year, okay, you have to decide the excess, what you're going to do. And I'm not going to use the Dave Ramsey's approach, which I, I, I love the guy. It works, it works very well for many families to begin the process. That is the baby stage of, of investing. It, it gets them on a track. But the same concept he applies, like you have to allocate all the money. Now, all the excess that you make, you have to allocate it. You have to learn to spend. And I think this is where people kind of miss the boat on when I go through this process, when I start investing, they don't have the end goal in mind. So one, you know how much my lifestyle costs. Okay, if it's 200,000, okay, 200,000 for my lifestyle. If I produce 300,000 this year, I have $100,000 to invest. And they invest mindlessly based on what they see. You go on LinkedIn, you go on all this podcast, you go to the conferences and say, real estate investing, and you go crazy, multifamily investing, opportunity zone, all the shiny <laughs> objects that show up, right? They're all amazing, but not all of them apply to you. So I think they don't mm -hmm. think about the investments and how is that affecting them. And now they 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 get they come to us and say, Well, I invested in this real estate. They told me it's the best thing ever. This is the this is gold. And I have no advantage. And I still pay the same tax bill. I can't take advantage of this. I can't do all of this. So if if you have the high net worth individuals before they invest, they think about how is this going to affect me? How is my exit going to look like? What's the, what's the, what's the, like, how is that going to look like? And before they even put the money into any investment, they decide what entity should I use? What is more beneficial to put it? This is where people are like, oh yeah, I have the cash. I'll just go send the cash. What, what I've seen so much, right? When we're working with investors and you know, we're not at your level of you know, strategists and we actually can't advise, right? We're not advisors. Um, but what I see so much is this common thread of people get excited about investing in real estate or investing in alternatives, right? Now the whole world is opened up because there's other options than just mutual funds or stocks and bonds and it's exciting. But then what happens is they just start investing in random things like you're saying, right? Where they source it on LinkedIn or my uncle Jerry over here is doing a flip and you know my doctor friend over here is investing in this ATM fund and you start to just create what I call the 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 sock drawer of investments, right? You just you don't remember what you invest in. You just start randomly, haphazardly investing in things, and then you take a step back a couple of years down the road, and you're like, "There's no strategy behind it, and I don't really know what I have." Number one, and number two, I don't know if I'm in any better spot than I was when I started. You know, 
And so I think it's it's so important going into this, you know, from lots of different angles of education on, you know, understanding investments in general, but then the tax side of it, understanding the impact of this, the portfolio strategy is so important going in, right? And this is yep. one, defining what is your ultimate goal? What is your end goal can be a really helpful framework that's just going to naturally exclude a lot of things that aren't even bad options. There's not good options for you, which is what you're saying, which I just really love. Can you give us some examples of maybe, you know, broad categories of, of different kind of archetypes for people that are maybe in different situations to where, you know, certain types of things might not be a good fit for them given where they're at on the path? Yeah. And uh, I love what you just said. And I was thinking about a, a couple of examples. So let's take a typical investor right now or um, high wage earners, right? You have, you know, you're in the tech industry, you got to get a lot of stock options. Let's say this is a very typical example. These people invest, right? So let's say you are a W-2 wage earner. Let's say you make about four or 500,000 into W-2 wages. You get stock options. You get a lot of capital gains every year because of that. So these people typically live very on, you know, modest lives, like very frugal. They invest a lot of money. Most of the people that we we see are high wage earners. With that, um, one of the basic elements that happens is you have to understand you have ordinary income, wage income. If you're going to invest in real estate, it's not going to help you. Your way of, like nothing's going to help you. And listen, all the capital gains that you 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 have, you're just paying tax on them. You're not drawing losses. And when you exit, you pay capital gains on it again. So one of the the uh, kind of when you implement tax strategy, one of the basic things that I always ask people, you have to understand if you make an investment, if you put the money anywhere, anything you do, you have to understand what's the goal. The goal with tax strategy for the people that we work with is I'm going to cut my tax so I can invest more. It's not going to increase my life. It's not going to change anything on my lifestyle level. It's just liberating the cash. It just frees up more cash. It gives me access to cash to put it back in the machine. Whatever it is, is it is it going to be private investing? Is it going to be, which it doesn't matter what the, the, the investment uh, vehicle really is, right? So come back to our, our guy. Let's say he's a, a tech person making 400,000 in wages. And it has like another 100, 150,000 capital gains. Now, real estate investment is going to do nothing for them, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to build cash, but like he reduces his gains. Depending on if, he's, if this guy lives in California, he reduces his gains by 40%. So if you're getting cash on cash, like you look at what they promised on cash on cash, cut 40% on that. Mm-hmm. Because you just you just deplete, you just reduce your, your gain. Now, give the same person, right? Like we have multiple, like, you know, guys that have multiple investments. Now, let's say we open up a holding company, which we're going to invest in. For these people, we cannot do pass-through. It's very common that we can create a C-Corp for these people to invest. Now, many people that are not there, there yet in their minds, it's like, C-Corp, this is the evil of the, the greatest evil on planet Earth. We cannot do C-Corp. Double th- you should see all the CPAs. Double taxation. Horrible you know, throw an apple on her face. No, listen, all entities are great for different things. Once you understand that everything is there for you to use, if you understand how to use them, okay? So let's say we have a C-Corp. I mean, I'm giving you like advanced methodology and you can have multiple investments in in a C-Corp, right? Now you just slash all of that and you can do 
you, you can keep investing in different things and you take advantage of it outside of your personal return, right? One of my one of my key elements that I use is I've done more than 3,000 audit defense cases face-to-face with the IRS, okay? Oh Me personally, God. okay? Here's here's one they of They probably the, love you, right? <laughs> I mean, they, listen, they wanted me on their side and there's a reason why I'm on this side of the table. Let's just say right. that. So one of, one of the, the, the most basic things that you could do is free up your investments from your personal tax return. You won't see, you know, a high net worth individual, you know, parading all the investments, all the 20 state investments that he has in on his personal tax return. And yet we see people with 40 different, you know, syndicated deals on his or her name. And it all shows up on the personal return. You just expose and parade all of it in front of the IRS and give them excuses to come look at what you're doing, hmm. right? So you have to use entities. So especially if you have, you know, high income, you know, like a, an employee, use entities. They're there for you to use to invest in specific, you know, entity types. So you don't go in as an individual to invest in all this, you know, additional investments, especially real estate any alternative investments that you have, right? That's a clear example. Now, if you run a business, right, which we have a lot of business owners, everything changes. And the same thing, we don't wanna touch necessarily the operating business that you have that produces the cash. We wanna use entities, right? So entities is your number one friend and you have to structure that that really allows you to take advantage of the current law that exists, right? And that changes every year. And I, I think, listen, the same way in, in a, you're in investments, in, tell me if I'm wrong, people say invest in, in you know, kind of spread your, your eggs in a different basket, right? You invest in this, you invest in mutual funds, you have some, you know, you might have some, um, you know, um, EFT funds. You, you can spread out real estate. You can have a multiple eggs in a different basket. The same way, I find it very beneficial to have various types of entities because each one of them has different advantages for different types of investments, for different types of income, okay? And that's where it's, it's it's it gets really, really exciting where you can generate something, like you always paint a picture with all these entities and how you can invest in different um, entities. Yeah, it's so interesting. So without getting too technical, as I know a lot of this, you know, matters on your personal situation and what types of income you're generating. You know, when I think about investing through entities, most of my understanding of that from you know the limited amount that I know is mostly from an asset protection standpoint. But you're saying it's also from a tax standpoint, there are advantages, you know, to use different entities for different types of investments. And going back to the C Corp, because I think, you know, you kind of glazed over that, but you probably blew a lot of people's, you know, brain sockets here by by saying that. Cause I've heard the same thing, right? Going to business school. You know, the only thing I remember about C corps is double taxation, double taxation, yeah. double taxation, and you know most publicly traded companies are C corps, right? But you just assume that that's what they have to do as part of you know, being, a, being a publicly traded company. But there are situations that you're saying where it actually might make sense to have a C corp, and you know, in in this scenario with this high wage in, uh, income earner in California, we have extremely high level of you know income tax, federal and state. It might actually make sense because the yeah. the uh, tax percentages on a C corp are less at the corporate level, and then you're only paying the double taxation when you make distributions, right? So, you know, I, the numbers maybe correct me if I'm here uh, if I'm wrong here, but 
you know, the, the corporate tax levels are much lower than 40%, right, on the C-Corp itself. And so if you continue to kind of snowball that and you're saving potentially 50% in taxes, that's a pretty significant number. And then as you make distributions, there's probably things and strategies you can employ with your distribution strategy to limit, um, you know, further. So you get a little bit, a little bit tactical, but I, I yeah. do think this is really helpful because I know there's a lot of people in that boat of really high income earners that liked the idea of real estate investing and paying less taxes, but all of a sudden they make a few investments and realize, oh crap, I'm actually not reducing my, my W2 active income. Right. So maybe yeah. spend just a few minutes on C-Corp because I do think that's a very like counterintuitive idea here. Yeah, well, listen, I'm 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 battling, you know, here, you know, many large CPA firms and CPAs that have been in the industry, and they they still they still I think they missed the boat on the advantage that they could do. And listen, the reason why I, I believe C corps are great because my end goal is my C corp is going to end up in a trust. That's what people miss. Mm-hmm. C corps are not used for you to live off of it. I'm not using it's, it's a holding company. I'm not going to draw dividends. I'm not going to draw a salary. It's my vehicle. I keep it there almost like a bucket, and which will hold my investments, right? And where people miss, you know, a lot of the, um, you know, the fine nuances of investment is where they have an investment advisor, they have a, an estate attorney, and they have a CPA, and there's no connection. Mm-mm. Each one of them will, will, will give you something else. The investment advisor can bring you the best investment in the world. It can have the highest returns, right? It, is, it gets really... So then you can have this state attorney who's like, it protects you the best way ever, right? It's so cool, the protection it gives you. And they want to give you the best. And the CPA that gives you the highest tax ever, <laughs> right? So the, the, the missing element is a connector that would bring all of this together. Say, I am mm. the where I invest. It really has legal protection, and it gives me the highest tax. This is the element, and this is what we're what we're kind of creating this tangle, this dance around it. So our clients, we meet with the attorney, we meet with the investment advisor, we analyze the deal. How does it fall in? We tell them in which entity you have the highest tax advantage to invest. Right, so. Coming that to kind of having that as a as a foundational piece as a basis, right? You come back to say, where and how would the C corp help? You think about the C corps, and I, I give this analogy to my clients all the time. Think about it when you set up the C corp for for you to invest. It's almost like a four hundred one k. I'm not touching that four hundred one k. It's not for you to live off of it. It's not, no dividends. Don't ask for the money back. You put it in. <laughs> Do you, you know what I mean? Because hey, listen, people. I mean. People are people. They, they they put an investment and they're like, you know, a couple a couple of weeks in, I'm like, oh, am I getting distributions yet? Am I getting, I'm like, oh, I, totally. <laughs> I go back and I say, so let's go back to what was the goal for this investment? Mm-hmm. People go in, and this is one of the the most common mistakes they make, especially the, the people who are not running businesses. Because when you run a business, you know goals, you track goals, you have metrics, you've got to track the metrics, otherwise you're out. So people who are employees are still not like they it takes them a while to kind of wire their mindset to tracking the goal. The goal is what? Was it cash flow? Was it appreciation? What were, what was your number one goal for going into that investment? 
Because if you go into a real estate investment and you want cash flow, which you don't need cash flow because you have high wages, it's wrong. You missed about you didn't have the right goal. It's totally. never gonna. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna give you. You're not gonna be happy, and you're gonna go to another investment and say, "Well, well, this is not doing well. I'm gonna go use a different, you know, avenue to invest." And you keep switching and going and searching for that golden egg, and you're not finding it because you don't have a clear goal, or the goal that you have does not make sense. You think you want that, you think you want cash flow, but you really don't want cash flow. You want appreciation because you already have the cash flow. You already you have met your basic needs. You have met your lifestyle cost. So Secor is not is not to give you anything. You're building it to a, an end point where that Secor is going to land in in a trust, and that's where advanced strategies come in play. Which is it's just listen when you look at the whole thing, it's it's so beautiful. Like it's there's such a natural transition through things. You just have to be open to understand, open to explore the the options that are available. To totally. You. Let me roll another scenario by you, kind of a different side of the spectrum here, but it's also something like I know I've talked with people recently listening to this podcast that they're entrepreneurs or business owners. They've been reinvesting back into the business for a long, long, long time. Thinking, hey, I'm kind of ready to sell, you know, be done with the day to day, but I'm going to have a massive liquidity event or a lot more than I'm used to in. The first thing I think of is massive tax bill, right? Yeah. Can you can you give to some high level strategies? Again, this is highly personalized, I know, but what is if someone in that scenario, what can they be thinking about, right? Because you want to be thinking about this many years in advance. And there's lots of ways you can structure, you know, yeah. buyouts, other things that can be more tax friendly. But what are things that this type of a person should be thinking about that's obviously very different than the high wage earner that's, you know, just stuck in investment capital yeah. away and you know, maybe put it in an investment vehicle, but in, in the other kind of side of this, the entrepreneur that's looking to sell the next couple of years, you know, what kind of things do they need to be thinking about? Yeah. And, um, you know, there's so many great, great things. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, everybody knows Facebook and, you know, um, you know, the founder of Facebook is, is really famous for many things, some good, some bad, let's just say that. And he and his wife were, were bragging were bragging on the internet how he donated uh, 99% of his stock to this charitable company, right? And all these people came and attacked him. And I'm like, no, that's not true. It is true. Or that's not even charitable. That is charitable. And, you know, in my, I mean, listen, I don't see him as the the most giving guy necessarily, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, you know, I, you know, I might not be the nicest person when I say that, but listen, like they're, they're giving as a strategy, okay? So mm. you have to, you have to understand you have to deploy things and get out of the classic definition for charitable. When I talk to charitable people are like they dismiss me. When I say charitable, their their mind has literally completely shut down on the concept of charitable. They said she wants me to give it away. I go to tech strategy, <laughs> I pay a boatload of money and it's just telling me to give it away. It sounds stupid when you think about it this way, but I, like this is where people miss the boat. That is the most, one of the most favorable things. United States, as the, the law exists right now, the tax law, has so much opportunity. We have several charitable strategies. It's one of the most amazing ways you can save money. And 
It's not because you give for this for the sake of giving. You give as a strategy. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. One of the best ways people approach this is giving. Now, can you give stock? Can you give like stock is a great great thing to give. Right, right. It's yeah. not just that you can you know use you one of the when you exit when you have a large exit and people have exit like you know fifty hundred million dollars for like let's say they build this you know, manufacturing company or distribution company or they whatever they have. And they have, you know, suite of government contracts that are valued really high and they want to get out, right? What happens is what gives you the highest advantage is when you layer different tax strategies for a compound effect. When you use entities, you use trust, you use charitable, and you create this diagram of a beautiful exit. He ended up paying for his Facebook donation 1% tax based because he was able to get out of his mindset. It's like, you know, I'll do what it takes. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it's a tangle. It's literally. Yeah. I mean, you're saying too, giving as a strategy, not even for charitable causes, but it's kind of a dual purpose too, right? If you have any desire to leave a legacy or to actually make an impact with some of your wealth, you're well above your means. You kind of have a dual dual purpose, right? Where you can actually save on taxes and you can make some impact too. So I think it's it's something that should not be overlooked and can be yeah. pretty significant, right? Because you can use a portion of the donations against other income, right? And uh, so I'm not yeah. get too technical and, and I can, you know, I'll probably say something wrong, uh, but no. as as a strategy, it's, it's a very important kind of thing to layer in there, you're saying. Yeah. Just another another comment to what you just said. Um, so I typically like to separate things. So if you have a charitable cause, if you have something dear to your heart, um, and I know many people who have survived different types of cancer and they've created nutrition, they've created supplements, they've created something, they have a child with disabilities or they have a very specific cause or literacy or sports or music, whatever the, the, the cause might be, or some of them are investing overseas. Right, they have a, a, a you know something dear to their heart, but it's in a different state. I have you know engineers that are Indian, like from from India, and they say, you know, I want to help farming in India. Mm. Right, so we separate the strategy, the charitable strategies from the your charitable uh, purposes, because okay. I like to I like to be protected. So that's one of the things that you know, if you want a you know nonprofit, if you want a foundation, and most of the the wealthy people have a foundation. Most of them, like I have almost everybody that goes as spe- after a specific level, they have a a desire because when all all is said and done, you want something that fulfills you, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, you know, one of the causes that I is dear to my heart is you know families where one of the one one of the the parents or the spouses is going terminal illness, and it's it's really brutal, and you know they're not financially prepared. That's one cause that I that that's really dear to my heart. That's where. I'm focusing, right? How do you get them financially prepared that especially if they have kids, right? That's it's really brutal for a family. They don't know what to do. That's one cause. That's separate than the the charitable strategies and I like to keep them separate because of the auto defense mechanism. The I don't want the IRS to say that I'm funding my own cause with this charitable strategies. So I always separate these two. Right? So charitable it's, strategies yeah. is a strategy. In your foundation nonprofit, we use it as a as a true nonprofit because I mean, listen, it's not it's not just a game. It's 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 life. It's your life that you're playing with, and you want to have 
You don't want everything to be a tax play at the end of the day. You want it to have meaning and impact. And that's how you provide meaning and impact. You Strategies right. one, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't kind of, there's a little overlap, but if you have your own foundation nonprofit, we, I like to keep it separate many, like 99% of the time, we'll have it separated. Right. Yeah. But if you have your own foundation or nonprofit, you theoretically can have some yeah. level of control or decision-making, yeah. you know, whether it's you have a board or other things alongside of it, but now you can actually be more directive with what you're doing, yes. but still get the benefit on the personal or trust side of things from a tax standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, the benefits on the strategies are, you know, four or five times bigger than what you do with your own nonprofit, just to give you kind totally. of, kind of yeah. a, a kind of a value put on it. One of the the last kind of topics I want to hit on, and we don't have to get too much into the weeds here because we could probably nerd out for a long time, but you know, something that I'm kind of becoming more aware of over time, right, is I've made a lot of investments in, you know, earning different types of income. I'm realizing there's not always a, a simple onesie twosie, you match this income with this tax loss, right? It's more complicated than that. And, you know, the different types of income you're generating, like in the one example with, with the tech employee, it's all W-2, like that. that's pretty, you know, vanilla, let's say. And it's pretty clear you can't take, you know, passive losses from investments against that income. But as you get more kind of nuanced, you know, maybe you've kind of started as a more of a framework, but then maybe some examples, if you can, on, you know, ways to be thinking about it. Because if, if I know the types of income that I'm generating and I know what types of losses I need to generate uh, from an investment standpoint or a tax standpoint, it kind of, again, going back to what's your goal, shifts the focus of the strategy of maybe things you should be focusing on, right? And um, so again, another kind of layer of it, but this is an area I talked a little about before in our kind of initial interview and just wanted to dive into that just, just a little bit because I think it's something that's so so relevant and important. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for bringing this up. I think it's it's a great great topic that is um, very misunderstood, even by CPAs, because they say it is what it is. It's income, it is what it is. You get the deduction, you don't get the deduction. But it, once you, you you have to look at what the, the millionaires and the billionaires are doing, okay? They speak in my language here with our name of our podcast, so. So, so listen, <laughs> like, you know, when we look at the geographical, like, you know, people have, you know, decided how water streams should go because they wanted water to flow in specific areas. So the same thing, that's the definition of income shifting. You have to understand, is it valuable for me to have all this income here? Is there any way I can shift any of the income in other places where I can take advantage of it? With the W-2, it's not always possible, okay? So that's why I said, depending on what you do, it's really you have to understand what do you have to play with? So let's say you are stuck. Right, you are stuck. Let's say you're you're five hundred thousand in, and we have employees that make five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars. It can be investment advisors at Wells Fargo. They make seven hundred, seven fifty thousand a year. Okay, right? Typical example, and they're doing investments, and they cannot help themselves. <laughs> Didn't want to have the sarcasm there, but um, so 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 let's say we have five hundred thousand in W two income. Cool thing, got it in. There's no way out. W two straight through, right? There's things that you can still do. You have to look at the tax law allows you to have some deductions against it. So, you know, that's where a lot of people love oil and gas. And they they they, they love oil and gas because oil and gas, if you have active participation in it, you can have that deduction 
right? For the intangible drilling cost, right? Year one. What do you do year two? You have to put another 100,000, 200,000 in to get the same deduction. So there's multiple types of investments that you can layer. You know, entertainment or any type of active investment, investing into, you know, private equity or, you know, different funds that would give you a deduction year one. The the number one element for the people, and this is this is many people will not like what I say right now. Five hundred thousand up to about eight to a million is the hardest, the absolute hardest kind of gap that you you, you can be the, the the hardest place you can offset income because they just don't have enough. And they're, they're right in the middle where it is the absolute hardest to reduce. I've run calculations. I said, what if we do charitable this? If I do this, the amount of tax reduction is so minimal that you have to put so much money in to get the reduction. It is the absolute hardest to minimize tax on. I know many people will not like what I say. And that's why you have to either go big or go home. No, no, not say go home. <laughs> Go bigger, make that yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but but you know, so, like you know, from a from I ran scenarios over and over and over again to find out, and it's five hundred thousand is probably the hardest place to be at right now, mm. right now. Some states, for example, if you're in a high tax state, makes it a bit easier, right? Because now anything that we do has a little bit more tax impact. If you're in Texas, don't make the money. Right? <laughs> like you have to find something else. So you have to strategize. What can I do? Right? You're like after you go over that two fifty range, three hundred thousand. You have to spend money to save money. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when I look at spend money, let's say I put a hundred thousand dollars in for an oil and gas deal. Okay. Let's say I get eighty five percent in IDC cost, like deduction, like a deductible drilling cost. Like I put a hundred thousand in. To have a deduction, that means it, it reduces my five hundred thousand dollar income by eighty five thousand. the The impact might not be as big. I'm not if I put a hundred thousand in, I'm not gonna get a hundred thousand dollars off my tax bill. Mm. It's probably gonna be anywhere from like fifteen to twenty five thousand tops. So you have to, so you have to put so much more because of that. Because of this is the hardest place. You just you don't have the tax, the tax rate is not big enough. Even though it is big, it's not big enough for you to make. So the more you make now, if you make 700,000 and you put 100,000 in, you actually can have a higher tax advantage. You might save more, mm. like percentage wise, than right. if you make 500,000. Why? Because of marginal tax rate, right? So you have to understand right. that the taxes are, are in brackets, right? So if you make 500,000 and if you're married, at the top bracket, you're only having a little bit of income at that top bracket. So that means the advantage is not as big. The more you go over the 500,000 range, the amount of money or income that sits in the highest top bracket is higher. So it's make, it makes more sense for you to put more. So I can put 200,000 in. I can put 400,000 in an oil and gas deal, perhaps, to get mm. the advantage that I want. And I can reduce my tax to almost zero. Right? Yeah, it makes total the, sense. Yeah. So it's all it's really all about the the you know how do I organize where am I, where am I with the income? Is there anything I can do to to shift right? And it's not just that there's entertainment investment, entertainment or any other strategy that that gives you you know um, some losses. 
And, you know, in the real estate world, the short-term rentals took a really big hit, right? Like everybody was like, this is the great, this thing, it's an SDR strategy, it's a new strategy. It's not necessarily a new strategy. It's like if you're active in it, the problem is it's not going to give you losses. Mm. I mean, you can buy a large property and you can do cost segregation, you can do all the beautiful things that you could do in year one, but then a, a well-run, you know, SDR will actually give you profits, so you're still not right. <laughs> you're still not where you want it to be, but there are strategies, and most likely for the people in W two wage, it's going to be some private equity investing. Some of the other mm -hmm. things, there's strategies that we do in the entertainment industry that would allow us. It's a Section one eighty one. I know people don't want to hear the code today, but it's a Section one eighty one that allows you to do some additional entertainment um, investment for these people to have a really really good, um, you know. A reduction of their taxable income. Yeah. Right. And that's probably my 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 top the top one that I would use for a W two employee. But again, it comes with people don't like entertainment so much. People don't yeah. want to invest in entertainment because they don't agree with it. Right. So it's all coming down to what's your mindset? What are you willing to do to reduce that bill? Yeah. How do you balance kind of last question here? And this is something I've said a lot and I think is important. But yeah, you got to measure the impacts. You know, the, the idiom is don't let the tax tail whack the dog, right? You shouldn't, you shouldn't just do an investment only because of the tax savings. And, you know, in oil and gas, a great example, you get these great losses, but if you invest in a really risky project and you end up with a permanent loss, right? A, a capital loss, you're not really that much further ahead potentially. But how do you kind of balance that? Because if you are getting that significant of year one losses, the riskiness is kind of reduced down, right? Because you're getting so much in tax savings, potentially, it depends on your income level, right? But how do you kind of how do you kind of balance that approach of not letting the tax drive the investment strategy, but also letting that be a really key component of it? Yeah, and it's a key distinction and, and it's such a great point. Thank you for bringing this up, Ben. It's, um, you know, there, there are strategies that are just pure tax strategies and there are strategies for wealth building. Yeah. Okay. So you always it's it's always a dance. So we had people, you know, put a hundred thousand dollars in or put money in and the the tax advantage was a hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's a tax strategy. Okay. That's not you don't ask for your money back. Don't ask for a multiple. It's a done deal. It's a one time deal. Sometimes we have strategies that we present to our clients that are just like that. Take many different shapes and forms. Okay. So and we, I always say, this is a one-time, it's a tax strategy. It's not a wealth building strategy, but you've got to do both, right? So you have to, you have to just make a distinction. Like, remember we talked in the beginning, what's the goal? Is my goal mm -hmm. to, if I do an entertainment, am I going to, my goal is to, to increase my wealth or increase my, or reduce my tax bill. So mm -hmm. every single time you reduce a tax bill, the main reason you reduce the bill, so you can put the money into wealth building investments. Mm, okay. So it's always this tangle between the two of them. And I think the biggest mistake people do is like, oh, I'm just building wealth, real estate. I'm like, real estate has, has stuck to people or all alternative investment really. You know, people are ATM, you know, car washes. There's so many different, you know, trends that are, that are coming up right now that are really, really hot, um, you know, assets to invest in. And people are, are, are going by the masses, like this is the greatest thing. And I'm like, they have to understand what's the goal? What are you doing for belt building? Right. And then once you have the wealth building strategy, 
And that's a, that, that's a, you know, and we talk about infinite banking, velocity, but there's just so many, con- like I said, we can, we can talk for hours just about that, those concepts alone, right? Which I love. Each one of them are valid. You have to create that dance, the tango between what you're doing for wealth building with the tax strategy combined. Because as you create more wealth, you don't want your personal tax return to show that you're richer. I mean, why should they know? <laughs> why would they have to know? Yeah. What you're doing. Laura, th- this has been, oh, this is so fun. I feel like we have a part two here at some point. But uh, for our listeners' sake, we should probably wrap it up here. Who's kind of like your ideal people that you can work with, right? I mean, um, it sounds like there's kind of a wide range, but you know, give just an idea of you know, who are the best people or most qualified to kind of benefit from some of the things you guys do at MyCPA Pro. Yeah, so um, in a nutshell, our, our ideal people are the people who make at least $100,000 more than their lifestyle cost. That means they have money to invest. They, they generate excess cash. That means W2, if you're a business and your business generates more cash than your lifestyle. That is the, that's, that's the yeah. tax planning area for us. That's the range. The more you have, the more you can plan. Love it. And then what's the best way for people to get all of you? Yeah, um, definitely. So um, I put this, um, if it's okay to, to share this, oh, yeah. uh, I, put, I put this resource um, uh, together, um, you know, for you so you can, can get in contact with, with me and my team. Um, and if you can uh, go to cashprofitpower.com, we put like the five most common strategies that all the ultra rich, the millionaires and the billionaires have in common, every single one that I have seen, that I have analyzed, that I have looked are using these strategies. A hundred percent. It is is it is mind blowing to see how simple it is to get in the mindset of a millionaire and billionaire. So, you know, if you go at cashprofitpower.com, um, we'll, you know, you can put your email address and you can get in contact with us. You can also find me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is is my the place I hang out. Um, Laura Dehanis in uh, LinkedIn. Maybe we can put a link, but that's where you can you can find me. Um, and you have a booking link. You have all the goodies on LinkedIn as well. Hey, love it. Well, thank you yeah. so much. This has been really, really fun. I'm sure our listeners will get a lot out of it. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom. Yes, thank you so much, Ben. 